Welcome to Warrensville Reaching New Heights. I'm your host, June Scharf, and I also serve as the Director of Communications for the City of Warrensville Heights. Today's guest is the one and only Austin Carr. He is the uh, esteemed Cavs commentator right now, and he was a star uh, player on the Cleveland Cavaliers from 1971 to 1981. Now, what you're going to learn in this conversation is that Austin was a bit of a late bloomer to basketball. But, of course, once he started to bloom, it was an enormous bouquet. And he's very, very humble about everything he accomplished. And, and we'll discuss all his records. Um, but he lends a lot of insight into the game itself and uh, to the Cavs right now, to LeBron's legacy and his future. So please enjoy this conversation with Mr. Cavalier. Well, Mr. Carr, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. It's Thank wonderful you. to have you here. It was my pleasure. <laughs> and I know you have to get to a practice. Yeah, oh yeah. So what, what happens at these practices that you go to? Well, what we do is uh, they start out... Um, <clears throat> What the coach Lou usually does, he likes to bring in some of his change. Some of, if he's going to change any plays or make any new plays, he'll do it at the beginning of practice, mm -hmm. and then they they will go through their regular practice, and then but they will work on the changes during practice. So it, it's uh, it's interesting how some coaches do it and some coaches don't. But uh, some coaches don't do it that way. Is this something new within the coach? Uh, no, not really, because Coach Lou did the same thing, but okay. uh, Coach Drew is a little bit more detailed with what he does. Okay, okay. and what is your role? When, when well, what I do, what I'm doing basically there, because I do the analytic work I'm doing on TV, is I'm looking for changes, different changes in the lineup, different changes in the play, and how they go about doing their job. That's what basically what I look for. Okay, we're going to go back in time. Okay. And, and then bring us up to the present. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't know if I can remember all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll give it a try. Okay. Uh, you grew up in Washington, D.C. Right. So at what point did you determine you wanted to play basketball? Oh, boy. That took a while because uh, I was a football and baseball player. So uh -huh. I played, uh, and, and what we would do during the se off season and doing the is we would have candy drives and to raise money so we could get our uniforms. Okay. And so that's basically what we were focused on. And I, basketball and football was what I was, I mean, base, uh, baseball and football was what we focused on and not so much basketball. So I didn't really look at basketball until probably the seventh grade and eighth grade. That's when I started playing. Uh, what positions did you like for baseball and football? I was a catcher. Okay. In baseball, and in uh, a left-handed hitting catcher, that was top demand. So I had a chance to play in the Washington Senators, they were called then, in their um, organization. But my parents said, nope, you got to go to college. So I never did make it to, to baseball. I played baseball a little bit in, in um, um, college, but uh, in, in high school, but not a lot. And, uh, and then I, um, I played football. Mostly up till about the ninth grade, and my, I got knocked out. Ooh, what and position? I was a linebacker, okay. and uh, I was a running back, fullback, basically. 
And my my uh, mother made me quit, so that was it. <laughs> good, good for her. <laughs> yeah. Well, when did you, at your peak? I don't know where things are at now. You, you were six four. So mm-hmm. when did you become six four? <laughs> oh boy, it took me a minute. Uh, I'm not six four now, though. I've, I've kind of gone down, but uh, I, I probably was never actually six four, maybe six three and a half. Uh-huh. And I probably didn't reach that until I got to college. I was about. Um, cause I didn't play guard, uh, position until about my senior in high school. So I was always a forward. So I, I probably didn't get to actually six, three and a half to about my freshman year in college. So was the plan to be a professional basketball player or did your parents kind of have other thoughts? Oh, no, 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 no. I was not planning on, you know, I mean, in my family, I, I was the first person to graduate from college in my family, first sibling. My father's sister graduated, and my mother went two years. So I was the first sibling to graduate from college. So that was all that family focused on, you know. And they never did really push me to athletics, but I loved them. So they kind of let me go. <laughs> and so that was about it. I didn't really look at it until about... about mm, so you started uh, blowing up the records in college, well, well, when that happened... <laughs> and then things changed. Yeah. <laughs> My parents kind of like, uh, well, maybe it'd be better, you know, had, add the degree on with the play of the basketball, too. Well, what was the plan? You were going to get a degree in what? Uh, I was going, I wanted to go into uh, business administration, but I had a run-in with the dean of the school my, before when I was checking in. He said some things to me I didn't like, and I thought it was kind of off-color, so... Uh, I went in, I ended up going into economics, and I'm glad I did because the theory of of the of, of economics of business is what I enjoyed the most because I, I did a little bit more. It was easier for me to do more research because it was interesting. What professions were your parents in? Well, my father he worked as a supply clerk in the uh, naval department, and um, the reason why he pushed education so much was because my father had an opportunity to run the whole department, but because he didn't have a degree or a high school education, he could never make it. And he worked there for 30 years, and, and he used to get so, he'd come home and be so upset because the young guys they would put in front of him didn't know the business, but they'd all would come to him. And my father really, that really hurt him. But uh, that's why he pushed all his sons to, to go to college and finish, and uh, and that basically was it. Uh, who are the other siblings? Uh, my brother, uh, Roderick, he passed about two years ago. He lived in D.C., and uh, he worked in the government for a long time. As a matter of fact, uh, he was involved in, in uh, drug rehabilitation, getting people who had been on drugs mm-hmm. off of them and get them into society, which was very instrumental. And my brother, and he lives in Colorado, his name is Arnold, he lives in Colorado, uh, right outside of uh, Denver. He's in the penal institution. He's a guard um, in, the, um, in, the, in the prison out there. Was everyone tall? Uh, <laughs> not really, yeah, basically, because yeah. I think my brother, that's my youngest brother, Arnold, is about my is about well he's about my size now six <laughs> one you know because I was a little bit taller than him but as I got older I started to yeah you know so you're a tall yeah. family yeah yeah the family was 
Um, and, and let's see. Um, well, you were highly recruited by mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Right. And uh, during your first two seasons, I'm just going to go through some stats here because they're so stellar. I, uh-huh. And I can't make assumptions. Not everybody knows. And right, right. They, I'm sure everybody knows bits and pieces. But um, you were the second college player ever to tally more than 1,000 points in a season. Uh, you were joining um, John Maravich. Is that how you spell Maravich? No, uh, it's uh, uh, Pete Maravich. Right. I mean, Pete, right. what did I say? I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. Okay, um, and then you hold the NCAA tournament record for most points in a game, and that was 61 versus Ohio State? Ohio U. Ohio U. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, in 1971. I mean, 1970. <laughs> and then most field goals in one game, which was 25. Right. Uh, most field goals attempted in one game, which mm-hmm. is 44. Right. And you have a record scoring average of 50 points per game in seven uh, NCAA playoff games that right, right. may never be broken. So, <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? What was, <laughs> you know? Well, I would say, June, the best thing that I could explain that is we were independent. So, we had no conference championship to look forward to. Okay. So, we always looked forward to the tournament. So, we kind of geared ourselves to be ready when tournament time came. And that seemed, that, that, that was all, I, that's about all I attributed to because I was just, Ready to play those games. Do you have a strong competitive spirit, do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, that. if you're going to be an athlete, you better have it. Okay. You know, because the, the, the talent you play against will test your, your, your innards every night. So you have to be competitive, and you have to have a short-term memory. You cannot <laughs> worry about, because you're playing against the best athletes in the world in any sport. So you, you're not going to be successful all the time. So you have to kind of keep your mind focused on that. That's interesting. So you must have a lot of resilience. Oh, yeah, you have to have that. And a lot of focus. You definitely have to have that. you got to understand your your crap, understand your opponent, the whole thing. Okay. Um, Well, you joined the Cavs in 1971 during this team's second year Mm -hmm. as a franchise and as a shooting guard. Um, You earned the nickname Mr. Cavalier, as everyone knows, and Mm -hmm. and AC. And I'm just wondering, just like you've coined some phrase, which we're going to get to, did some broadcaster give you the name? Mr. Cavalier? Yeah, Fred McClown, okay. the guy I work okay. with. I've been okay. working with this our 13th season. Uh, he started that. And, I, you know, he just kind of threw it out there, and it stuck. You know, and everybody started calling me Mr. Cavalier. That's about it. You know? <laughs> That's funny. Did your parents come to see many of the games? Uh, yes. The, at, at, at the beginning, yes, mm-hmm. they did. I'd get, they'd come in town. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, both of them have passed now. But, yeah, they would come in town for most of the games. Probably... My first five years in the league, they they would come. Then after that, they started having health problems, so they kind of wouldn't come unless we were in D.C. Do you have kids? Yes, I have a, a daughter. Her name is Ashley, and a son named is Jason. Okay. Yeah, and uh, they both live here. Okay. Yeah. What are, mm-hmm. are they involved with basketball at all? No, no. My son played a little bit at university school, mm-hmm. and my daughter did a little track work and at uh, Hathaway Brown. That was about it. What professions are they in now? My daughter's getting ready to be a registered nurse. Well, she is a registered nurse now. Mm-hmm. She's studying to graduate and uh, into um, the next level. And then my son works at the post office here now, and he's doing pretty good. And how did you feel about being um, picked, being uh, picked for on the caps? Well, you know, it, it was something I dreamed about. I mean, once I started dreaming about it, because I didn't really start dreaming about it, didn't think I could make it until my junior year in college. 
And um, it was something I really enjoyed. I mean, I would look forward to it. I was really excited when it happened, too. Well, they were playing uh, at the old Coliseum mm-hmm. in those days in Richfield. And I just wondered, um, how much does the venue impact your experience when you play? A lot. Okay. How, well, A lot. Because the way that place was set up, the fans weren't that far away from the court. Mm-hmm. And it was, and they, they were close to you, even though they were up, because it wasn't, it wasn't built more like this. It was more this way. It was so steep. The fan, it was steep. Yeah. Right. So it was, it was, it was a good experience, and and it was like we were the first girlfriend. Everybody <laughs> was just in love with us, you know, and and and, and we were and we were a good team. We just had injury problems that hurt us at the end. Well, you you had injuries. Yeah, but the team did too. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, there were only seventeen teams in the league back right. then, right. and you played. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and and there, and there were eight. There, how many more? How many are there now? There's way twenty-nine, more. thirty. Thirty. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you played eighty-two games then in the regular season, same as the schedule stands today. Uh, but with more teams, that means you had more frequent rematches with yes. teams back then. And I just wondered how did that affect your own game and the team's strategy. Oh, it, it it was different. Mm-hmm. Like when we came in the league, we came in with Portland and Buffalo. So what we would do traveling west, we would go out and play Portland with the first game on the trip, and we'd play three or four teams down the east west coast, mm-hmm. and come back to Portland and play them again before we come home. So it was it was quite a different because you got you played so many teams so many times you knew what they did. Mm-hmm. So it was easier to keep up with the little nuances that they did and things that you needed to know. It was easy so to do that. So maybe now they have to watch more video to count Yes, yeah, you have to, yes, you have to. But as a player, June, you kind of, once you play against a guy once or twice, at least that's the way I was taught, you know his, you know his little <laughs> ins and outs. So you kind of get a mental book on him and you know how to deal with him. Okay, um, so back in the day when, when you were playing for the Cavs, um, there were a group of players who chose to live in the Granada apartment complex here right. in Morrisville mm-hmm. Heights. Um, but those were the days when only white people were allowed to live there. Right. And so you were one of those who chose to to live there. Is that mm-hmm. right? And so how did you deal with that? It really wasn't that bad of a situation. I mean, when I think about it, because that's why I don't think it was a bad situation. I mean, you could feel some people didn't want to associate, you know, but it, that's their problem. That wasn't mine. So I didn't worry about that. I mean, if they, if they had a problem with it, then so be it, you know. So it really wasn't a bad, and it was enough of us. It was about five or six of us that lived in there. Who else was there? Uh, Footsie, mm-hmm. Walker, uh, Camby Russell, um, Bingo Smith, myself. Uh, Roland Garrett. So it was a lot of us that lived there. A lot of star, in, in a, star lot of, power. Yeah, lived in that, whole, that little complex, and it was nice. It was, it was a nice place, and it was uh, good people. You know, and just that there were a few that you really didn't want to be around, so you just <laughs> left them alone. <laughs> did they ask for autographs or anything? Yes, they did. They did. They did. But after it was funny. After about a year or two living there, mm-hmm. then we were like everybody else. So everybody just kind of, <laughs> hey, how you doing? And kept going. You know. Okay. Um, See. Well, so after playing with the Cavs for nine seasons, your jersey, your number 34 jersey was retired, and it was only one of seven that qualified mm-hmm. for that privilege. Mm-hmm. And um, you were a franchise leader in field goals made and attempted, steals and minutes played. You named an all-star, Cleveland Sports Hall of Fame, 
it doesn't seem like it ever went to your head. So, no. <laughs> so how do you keep it so real? Well, it's just the way I was raised. My parents would always tell me, don't let something that you do well affect the way you live your life. And because, uh, uh, you know, you, you put on your shoes just like anybody else. So, um, and, and then that being preached that every day and every situation where I might have gotten a little bit too big for my britches, they made sure that I, they brought me back down to earth. So after a while, you just understand that. And that's just me. But it's part of my personality. I don't really, I'm no different than anybody else. I just had a, I could do something that a lot of people couldn't do. That's all. <laughs> Okay, so how how did you make the transition from playing professional sports um, to your to your first job after? And and I'll just say that uh, Mayor Sellers addressed this topic in his conversation on the podcast, and and he said it can be challenging for oh, that it is. reason. So it's definitely challenging. What was your first job after professional sports? And this would have been nineteen eighty one, I think. Yeah, right. Well, I, and for about I didn't really get into the public sector until probably about six or seven years trying to find out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do something. And what I went into, I went into the packaging business in Indiana. So I would commute from here to Indiana on Monday morning and Friday evening. I'd come back and forth. And we packaged stuff like uh, Carnation Milk and and um, Maxwell House Coffee, with, you know, bubble wrap, wrap them with with package um, landmines for the government. Wow. You know, we do tank engines for the government, and all that stuff was so detailed with with uh, with requirements and stuff that it just it kind of wore you down. But at the same time, the company was doing well, and the guy that owned the company, Henry Childry, he passed, and then that's when I decided. Plus, I had. Trying to drive back and forth was just wearing me down. Well, it took me was, about four years. What was bringing you back here? You were I lived here. Okay. Yeah, I lived here, and um, and uh, and I had gotten married then, so I, that was that was what I did. So um, you know, that's kind of how I did it. And it took me a minute. It just you know trying to because I've always wanted to be in my own business, and I always that's the way I think. And uh, and then the opportunity was great. It's just that it was so far away, and uh, I just couldn't do it. Then I came back here, and that's when I got back with the Cavs. Okay. Well. Coining a phrase is a, a unique achievement, and can you talk about coming up with the L train and throwing the hammer down? And you have a lot of expressions, mm-hmm. but but the L train was a big one, right? So well, <laughs> it just happened. You can't make that stuff happen. You can't think about it. You just, it just it just has to happen. Yeah. So I don't know why. Just the way LeBron drove to the basket, it was like a, like a train. I just yeah. and then. And and what what I did was I had somebody draw up a picture of of a locomotive with LeBron on the front <laughs> and and and, on, and going forward, and uh, we just called it the L train, you know. And I mean, at first he didn't like it because there was another player called the L train and um, Lamarcus, uh, what is his name? He played the San Antonio now, but anyway, he they called him the L train, and LeBron didn't like that. You know, but now he doesn't have any bother with it now. <laughs> well, if we could talk about LeBron just for a second. Um, with all the minutes he played in every game, 
what I often would think about is how much pain was he dealing with? And you got to see, well, you know, play yourself close. Yeah, and a lot of things. See, once LeBron did, he changed the workout uh, uh, habits of players because he would do yoga. Mm. He would stretch, uh, unbelievably stretching uh, exercise. He did it every day. Yeah. Sometimes twice a day. And so he, I've seen LeBron take some falls that a lot of guys couldn't get back up from. But he would, especially like ankle twists and all that. Mm-hmm. But he kept all his joints viable by all that stretching and yoga that he did. So it, it, he, he's an amazing athlete. That's all I can say. He's Because I've seen him take some spills that a lot of guys would never recover from. Wow. Um, okay, so with the, with the Cavs... Um, it's a whole different scene without LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the first time something like this has happened right. to a team. So can you give us some perspective on how other teams have managed with the loss of their star or, or just what you've seen? Well, it's tough because when you have a guy who like LeBron who dominates as much as he did mm-hmm. as far as how what we ran on offense, how we played defense, and all of a sudden you take that out of the equation. They're not used to leading. Yeah. They're used to being led. And that's what our problem is now, trying to figure out who's going to be the leaders and who's not. I mean, and, 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 it's, and it's a tough situation when you have a lot of guys who aren't used to leading. Because between you and I, June, it is not easy to have to be dependent on every day to, in practice to be the leader. And then every day, I don't care if you have a headache, you don't feel well, you got to argue with your wife at home, you still got to bring that positive attitude and good play to the court every day. A lot of guys ask for it and a lot of guys think they want it, but when they get it, they don't they don't they don't deliver because it's 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 a tough thing. And what LeBron is and what he did for this franchise is unbelievable because you can see the 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 problems now trying to get guys to understand that you gotta bring it not just one day, you gotta bring it every day. He's unbelievable. I mean do Yes you, he is. Do you think there's, there's never been a player. Well, he's a hybrid of all the good ones. Yes, that's a you wonderful know, way to put it. He's a hybrid of Oscar. He's a hybrid of Magic. I mean, he, 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 he's Jerry. Well, he's a hybrid of all of them. And the next LeBron, I don't know if it's going to be one but that can dribble, pass, shoot. I mean, LeBron gives you everything. If you're going to start a franchise, he's a perfect guy to start a franchise with. Yeah, he's just yeah. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, are you in touch with him personally at all? Or? Uh, no, 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 no. But well, every time I see him, we greet each other. I mean, yeah. but but if, yeah, if we're not. I don't. I don't talk yeah. with him. I'm trying to get in one of those uh, movies that he's in. <laughs> I try to get him to get me in one of those. So, <laughs> yeah, but he hadn't done it yet. <laughs> and what do you think about how it's going in L.A.? Oh, it, it, he's finally getting them to understand how to play winning ball. And you can see they were fighting him at first. Even the fans are fighting him, you know. But. Uh, they they'll see as as it goes on, what they have and and how this starting to 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 look and um and they 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 come around because he's 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 just good. I mean he knows what he's doing. How much do you think he has left? How many years do you think? But he signed a four year deal. I yeah. think he can make it through that because you know why he wants to be the all time leading scorer in the history of the league, mm-hmm. and and he needs well he needs uh six thousand points and. In three and three about three and a half years, so he's he's, he's got to have his act because he's up to thirty two now. I think he's up to thirty two, and he needs thirty six, uh, thirty eight to beat Kareem. So I think that's what he's after. Wow. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, well, with the Cavs now, what do you see as their strengths and weaknesses? Well, right now, uh, our, our, our weakness is leadership, I think, trying to find somebody who's going to take the leadership on a daily basis. Um, and right now, injuries are one of our weaknesses. I mean, with Kevin out and all that guy, George Hill out. But, uh, and I think uh, getting used to this new style of play up and down the floor and our defense and transition is not good. Um, we're getting better in the half court, but transition's a little off. And offensively, making shots. We're, we're not a prolific three-point shooting team. And in this league, if you can't shoot threes, you got trouble. So we have to get better at, 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 at our perimeter game. Okay. I don't know what will be in six months from now, three right. months from now. For any, I don't know when listeners will be plugging in, but I will place us in time. This is a week before Thanksgiving, so right. we'll see what happens. This All is right. also a few day, uh, about five days before the L.A. Lakers come to Cleveland. Oh, okay. That's oh, boy, that's like, right. Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, you got to come down and say hi then. Come down okay. to the table and say hi. Okay, I will okay. do that. All right. Um, but... Uh, Tell me about that ring on your finger. You have a very lovely NBA oh, ring. This is a, a Hall of Fame ring. Okay. Uh, when I was put in the Basketball Hall of Fame, uh-huh. um, this is the ring they give you. And um, yeah, thank you. So I decided to, to wear it. I used to. I, used, I never wore it because I didn't want to lose it, but uh-huh. I figured I might as well take advantage of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, okay, so as an analyst, how do you prepare? to play that role every time. Do you, Obviously, you go to practices. Right. Do, you, do you speak to the players? Or? Yeah, I, I speak to them, but I don't interview them because we have other people that do that. Mm-hmm. But I listen to the interviews and all that. And then I do homework on the teams. Mm-hmm. I understand what type of team they are, um, what how they're playing at the moment, who's playing well, who's not playing well. You, you, you go through all of that. So that gives you a total view of... Of, of the, the, the your next opponent, and then you just go and do the game. You know, I, I don't like to. I used to try and memorize all that stuff, mm-hmm. but you can't because it doesn't come out right. You know, so uh, what I don't remember, I'll forget it, and I'll just go on to something else. But usually, I remember everything because I'm used to doing it now. Do you have a notebook or anything? Oh yeah, okay. definitely have a notebook. You definitely okay. have a notebook. Keep it, and, you know, and. Uh, you know, and then uh, and then you got a little mental notebook too. But I have a notebook that I write stuff down, especially beginning of the season. And I hold on to, like we've played certain teams already twice, and so well, next time we play them, I look at that notes and look at those notes and go from there. Uh, are you involved with anything else um, since the season generally lasts? What about nine months, depending on how right. things are going? Mm-hmm. Um, do you get? A- well, I work in the front office twelve twelve months a year. Okay. So when the season's over, I still go to work every day, 8 to 5. And uh, mm-hmm. at least, well, in the summertime, we kind of cut the hours down. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be in there till about 9, 9.30ish. And then we leave around 2 during the off-season once we get going. But, uh, yeah, I stay still do work in the community and stuff like that. Okay, well, um, you've chosen to live in Warrensville Heights. Right. And I just wondered um, why you decided to pick this community and what you like about it. Well, I just enjoy the the people, and it's easier the the, the egress, getting in and out yes. on the freeways and all that is 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 centrally located. You're right at the turn, yeah. four eighty two seventy one. You mm-hmm. can just get on and go downtown. Mm-hmm. You want to go east, you go east. I mean, you can go everywhere from here mm-hmm. easily, and that that's kind of why I enjoyed it. And it's good to have um, Mayor Sellers 
in the neighborhood too. You know, it's good to have the mayor around. That's right. That's right. Well, I know he appreciates having you on the podcast, as do I, and I'm sure all our listeners. So thank you so much for being our guest. No, thank you, June. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>